на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the RFN podcast. This week, which is going to be our last podcast of 2020 before we take a short break to return before the Krasnodar Dinamo Zagreb games in, in February, we actually have two game weeks to cover, including Zenit going six, uh, four points clear at the top of the table, defeating Spartak 3-1, Fyodor Chalov scoring a hat-trick as he's back among the goals for, for Siska, Kimki keeping up their brilliant unbeaten run, and then we're going to finish off with a little bit of an analysis of a financial crisis looming in the RPL as a result of the COVID-19 debacle. To do so, joining me this week, as always, is David Sanson. Good afternoon, James. And Richard Pike. Good afternoon, James. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Now, we are, of course, this week releasing and recording a little bit different to our regular schedule, just because the game week 19 in the RPL was different to the regular schedule anyway, with the majority of the fixtures or the entirety of the fixtures taking place midweek over Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Now the big game of course and the starting point has to be the battle at the Gazprom Arena where Zenit defeated Spartak 3-1 in the end. Zenit went ahead with a nice goal from Sardar Azmoun which was actually the first in his entire career from the outside of the box. Now it was just outside the box but nevertheless it was outside the penalty area. Spartak immediately drew level with the comical and hilarious own goal from Dejan Lovren. And then in the second half, Zenit ramped up all the pressure and made it count late on as Yaroslav Rikitsky and Artyom Zuba put the game to bed. Spartak now haven't defeated Zenit in their last six games. And that means that Zenit are now actually six points clear of Spartak at the top, but only four points clear of, of uh, Siska Moscow. Now, there are some worrying things coming out post-game where... Domenico Tedesco has confirmed that he will be leaving Spartak at the end of the season when his contract runs out. So to jump straight into it, David, what did you think of the game? Deserved winners for Zenit? Yeah, absolutely, to be fair. Um, you know, Spartak, well, I think the stats at half-time were it was, it was one all, but Spartak hadn't mustered a single shot because of, uh, well, I'm sure something we're about to be talking about anyway. Um, it, it, it was not... It was not a good performance from Spartak. You know, they they just couldn't really get hold of the ball. Um, you know, they they went in fought very fortunately at halftime. You know, level, uh, but really just couldn't do a great deal about that. Um, you know, I can't I can't really recall them having anything dangerous um, that they created themselves for the whole game. Um, you know, it, it was just another game where. The big teams meet in Russia and one just outclasses the other. Um, and Zenit were the team that this week outclassed them, which is, uh, as I'm sure we all discussed in the chat, a bit depressing because this is the team that managed one point in the Champions League and it's it's just swept aside one of the most promising teams in their title race uh, quite comfortably, you know, with, with very little resistance from Spartak. So, um, yeah, well-deserved win from Zenit. Uh, they've been... They're much better since Asmoon's come back, especially domestically. You know, they, they had struggled while Asmoon and Drusi were out. Um, Asmoon has come back and he's right on hot form. A shame at a disappointing time of year, you know, when they're about to go on break. Um, but, um, you know, it's good for them and um, they'll, they'll take that six point lead at, at the top of the table. 
Yeah, and immediately after the game, or well, it was during the game, I believe it was at half time, Alexi, one of our writers in our chat, joked that it was kind of a Mourinho masterclass from Spartak at one point where they had one goal despite having zero shots on target. And and to to really sum up how depressing it was for Spartak's point of view from an attacking sense, their their entire XG for the whole 90 minutes was 0.13, which is quite substantially the lowest in the RPL at the weekend. And Ilya Kutupov, who came on as a late substitute. Um, Tedesco has done this quite a few times where he introduces Kutupov late on to basically try and, and have an extra dimension, a diff, something different in an attack where we all know he's a bit of a shambles at the back, but he is good in the air. And he basically is thrown up, thrown up high late on uh, to to drag defenders away from, from Jordan Larson and create some space. Of course, he does this because Sanya Sobolev is out injured right now and, and Spartak don't really have another strong attacking ta- target man in in the side. Uh, but it remains that Kutupov is still a defender. Having said this, his XG was actually higher than Larson and Ponce's combined during the course of the 90 minutes, which really just shows how poor Spartak were going forwards and just how much of an easy game that Lovren and Ritkitsky had for the majority of it, apart from that that one ridiculous own goal. Um, Richard, what's what's your thoughts on that own goal? Is it Lovren's fault? Or do you feel a little bit sorry for the Croat? No, I definitely think it's Lovren's fault. Um, I, I've literally never seen an own goal like that. To actually chest it from like <laughs> six, seven yards out over the top of Andre Lunyov, who, you know, futilely dived to try and save it. It was, it was something that I've never seen before and um, such a comical own goal. And it's... It was something 20 years ago that appeared on Christmas um, comical uh, videos, wasn't it? it? It literally, if you haven't checked it out, go and see it. It, it literally is just such a comical own goal. Um, it, it's crazy for Lovren because he actually had a really good game apart from that. I mean, admittedly, Spartak were a bit toothless in attack and didn't have much to do, but it was just, it was really comical. Um, yeah, I don't think there was really much he could have done. Uh, well, that, yeah, I think it, it is definitely Lovren's fault. Doesn't does you know Lunyov couldn't really have done much. Um, but yeah, to, to emphasise what you said, I agree with David and and yourself. I think Zenit totally deserved to win that game. They just completely dominated. Um, and yeah, Spartak. I think one interesting thing about Spartak was I think this game kind of highlighted the lack of a playmaker in their team in midfield. I think you know a large chunk of their attack this season has been down to the excellent partnership between. Um, Ponce and Larson up front and Alex Crowell most notably charging through midfield, you know, putting some really dominating performances. But when you're coming against a high calibre opponent like Zenit, yeah, I think I think the lack of a playmaker really showed um in that game. And obviously, yeah, the injuries to Kokorin and Sobolev don't help either, having to throw Kutep off up front to try and, you know, salvage something. Um but yeah, Zenit completely deserved to win the game. I think they were they were comfortably the better side and yeah. It's it's frustrating that, you know, the performance in the Champions League were, were so poor and then they come and do something like that and they come and play well against Dinamo the week before, the, the match day before. So, but yeah, they they totally deserve to win the game. Fully, fully deserved and dominant from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really liked, I mean, we have, and the majority of the Russian football echo chamber has uh, put Sergei Semak under quite a lot of pressure and, and warranted criticism, definitely warranted. Uh, for his tactics in Europe, but Semak here played what was the biggest clear indicator of late, where he has dabbled in this formation before, but he he played a clear 4-3-1-2 or a 4-4-D, however you want to call it, but it was uh, an obvious diamond in midfield with Wilmar Barrios sitting in the base, 
Uh, as Doyev and Wendell at either side of him, and then Malcolm in a free roll sitting just behind Asmoon and Zuba. Now, Wendell came into the game and had a, had a very, very strong, strong performance. He hit the bar early on, well, the staunch and the bit where Post meets the bar. It was a brilliant shot, and honestly, I thought that was in. And then a couple of times, Asmoon hit the bar. Um, Zenit just destroyed Spartak, attack after attack. And a lot of Zenit, Zenit's previous... Uh, Attack and freedom has been down the wings. Uh, the, the fullbacks push on, and then that gives Jaluci and Malcolm, or whoever it is, or Yorokin, or Kaziaev on the wing, a bit of a free roll. Now, here, Semak really packed the midfield and really forced Kral and Zobrin to sit back, and the, the gap between Spartak's midfield and attack was just monumental at times. But I will criticize, I mean, I've, I've given Tedesco high praise this season for the way he's managed to turn around a lot of Spartak in such a short amount of time because. Let's be frank, they were terrible last season and have been for a couple of years now. But I really think Tedesco perhaps got this wrong. Uh, it, it basically went, the, did the usual Spartak thing where the entirety of the team push up and leave Pasha Maslov, Samuel Zizou and Georgi Zikia to, to defend on their own. They isolate them and they just leave them to deal with the counterattacks or whatever else from other sides when they are expected to dominate possession. Against Zenit, I think that's a little bit naive. Especially with Zuba and Asmoon both scoring, both in the goals, starting up front again. Malcolm in behind them, Wendell coming in. Um, Alexis Sutoman playing at right back, who's, who's going to be p- p- bombing down the right-hand side every single opportunity that he can. And He has been a little bit of a revelation there, And in as much as I'm surprised he's playing so well. Not that he is particularly brilliant at the moment. But Richard, what's your thoughts? Do you think that Tedesco made a little bit of a balls appear? Or was it just the sheer... Quality and Zenit's attack in domestically with those back together again. Yeah, I think I think it's a bit of both. Um, I'm, I, th- I do agree with um, a large amount of what you said there, James, about Tedesco probably being a bit naive. But credit to Samak as well. And like I say, a lot in the Russian press have given him criticism for his tactics in Europe. We've criticised him also for some t- what you would perceive um, tactical naivety in Europe, European competition as well. Um, and I was actually excited watching that performance in Zenit because I know Malcolm got the official man of the match, but for me, 100% the man, I'm not wrong, he had a very good game, but for me, Wendell was the man of the match. He was everywhere in his time on the, on the pitch. Um, you know, he's not really a playmaker. He's a box to box player, but he can also, you know, he's got a decent, he's good technically, got a good pass on him. He can link up well both out wide with the wing backs going forward and with Malcolm. There was some link up with the two forwards too. He can also track back and do the defensive work too, win balls. Um, he can play in tight spaces. I, I thought it was an excellent all-round midfield performance from him. And um, I was really happy that Samak did play that formation. I know all the um, things like flash score and everything like that had it down as a 4-4-2 and Wendell playing left midfield. But it, it definitely, like you said, it was definitely a either a, a diamond or a 4-3-1-2 formation with Wendell and the three and Malcolm given room to roam behind Zuba and Asmoon and I actually thought, you know, that role suited Malcolm quite well because, you know, he can contribute an attack and he can also, in that free role in the midfield, you know, all, it's free role centrally, sorry, he can also, um, off the ball, off out of possession, press, you know, defensive midfielders, win the ball back, get Zenit attacks going again because he, he does put in a lot of hard work defensively as well in addition to his attacking capabilities. So I think that formation is something I'd, I'd really like to see Zenit persist with going forward because I thought they looked very, very good and compact in that formation. It allows you to get the two strikers in. And I think the other benefit to that formation, one last thing, one last observation I will make on it is I think this now means that 
Zenit will, will cash in on Sebastian Juicy in the January transfer window. I think this formation now will enable them to do that and it frees up a foreign spot for them. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do with that. Could they get in a good quality goalkeeper from abroad? Um, I certainly think that there's scope to do that. An upgrade on Lunyoff or um, Kurt Skoff in goal. Maybe a backup striker to Asmoon and um, Zuba. So there's options now for Zenit. And I actually think now that, you know, this formation, I'd like to see this be something that, I'd like to see Samak persist with going forward and stick with it, develop the side going forward mm-hmm. based on this formation now because they look really comfortable with it. So, yeah, going back to your original question, a bit of both, but um, a bit of both. I think Tedesco was a little bit naive tactically, but I will credit Samak this time for this formation and tactic and hopefully it's something going forward which we'll see more often. Yeah, what I liked about Samak is, I mean, Tedesco obviously had instructed Kral and Zobnin to man Marcus Doyev and, and Wendell throughout the game. But because Semak had changed his formation to what, as you said, Richard, to, to that diamond, it basically just allowed a, a numerical advantage through the entirety of the midfield for the entirety of the game. And it's something that Spartak really couldn't deal with. Uh, because uh, Zelenkan Bakayev was basically a passenger and anonymous for the entire match, it could have been more interesting if, say, Tedesco had withdrawn him and brought somebody else in. But Spartak have got such a monumental amount of injuries right now and already a small squad. Uh, the man who you would expect them to bring in in Nailamuyarov was unavailable and the bench was just basically kids and goalkeepers. It was really, really stretched Spartak. So I can see why Tedesco had just kept it the same and and just put trust in his players because there wasn't much else he could do. Uh, David, do you think Zenit clear favourites for the title now? And is this perhaps Zuba back to his best or is it just him with his old, ter- old tricks of scoring against Spartak who... He has now scored more goals against Bartek than any other side in the RPL. Um, I mean, I don't think he was particularly outstanding in that game. Um, I thought, I thought actually the man, I think uh, Malcolm got given man of the match, but for me, I, I thought Wendell had a really good game. Um, you know, obviously he's a new boy, new boy at the club, and that was the first time where he, where I'd seen him play for Zeni, and I thought, wow, yeah, you know, he's actually a good player, this guy. Um, you know, he, he he stood out in that game and was really good. And I think what you said about midfield, um, you know, afforded him space and room, and you know, he could have scored. He hit the crossbar very early doors. Um, Zuba, I, I mean, I think he had a pretty unremarkable game. You know, if he didn't get, you know, pretty much a tap in at the last because of a defensive issue, um, you know, he 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 was a bit of a, a passenger for my for my thoughts. Uh, you know, I, I thought the game was was won from Wendell. Uh, Malcolm obviously did have a good game. I thought Asmoon was good too. You know, he Asmoon could have scored a couple, um, having hit the hit the post himself. Um, so we'll see. You know, it, it's good to obviously have Zenit back with with their full strength. Um, you know, after the struggling with Europe, I think you know it's that it's that same thing with Zenit. You know, the uh, you know we talked about it for years how they have their November struggles and. While this year it's sort of, um, sort of exaggerated thanks to injuries and, and players missing out. You know they did have their November struggles this year. Um, what with Europe adding to their misery, um, but you know if they can go into the the uh, spring with a full squad and potentially refreshing things, whether that means Drusi leaves, whether Asmoon leaves, there's always going to be interest in Asmoon, especially as he's coming into form. You know he's still he's still. Youngish, I think he's he must be what 25, 26 now. He's, he's basically at the prime of his career for being a striker. You feel like it's almost getting to it. If he's gonna go, it's getting to a now or never stage for him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens over 
over January. You know, Zenit are usually active in January, as we know from past um, from past years. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but you'd fancy them if they can keep the squad together and potentially even improve. Um, yeah, to go out and, and give it a good go. Um, you know, it's the title race has suddenly become not as not as tight as we all were hoping. You know, we, we had a really big grouping there for a while of Zenit, Spartak, Siska. Um, you know, Zenit now four-point gap over Siska at the top. Siska, Spartak sort of stumbling a bit. And then the next challenge is after that, Sochi and Rostov. You know, it, it's, it's at a point, a three-horse race. But the first horse has got a good start. So, um, so yeah, you, you'd fancy saying it will have a very good chance of securing yet another title here um, and then to go on and embarrass themselves in Europe again next year. Yeah, and moving on to to the certain manager and start in charge of Spartak. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the pods, Dominico Tedesco has announced that he will not be signing a new deal at Spartak. His contract expires at the end of the season. And that was possibly the last we could see of him in Russia, if not beforehand. Lots of clubs in Russia tend to really like to rebuild in during the winter break because of the length of the break, especially this year. They had two weeks off in the summer. They're now getting two months off in the winter. So there has been rumours that Tedesco could go even earlier to allow Spartak more time to, to rebuild in the post-Tedesco period. Now, he has been good on the pitch, Tedesco, and but the players really, really do adore him. Um, so, David, what do you what do you think about Tedesco? Now, is is this a big blow to Spartak? Well, it's not not just a big blow to Spartak; it's a big blow to the league. You know, Tedesco was the, was sort of such a big personality, and you know, he is not necessarily well known, but he is known in Europe, not just uh, in Germany, but in, in wider Europe as well. He he attracted good attention for his really good season that he had with Schalke. Uh, you know, he's a young manager still, young coach, uh, and you know his antics in Russia while. The Russians maybe aren't able to deal with the fact that he's, you know, he's a bit uh, extravagant and a bit loud and, and passionate. You know, they, they don't seem to like a foreign coach or a foreigner who comes across and acts like that. You know, this is a guy who who's just enjoying his football. He's acting just like many of the Russian fans do. You know, a lot of the Russian fans are just as passionate as that. Um, but when the old cronies are seeing it, they on you know from the stands and from the from their boardrooms, uh, I don't know that just get people come out and, and don't like it. And, you know, we've seen plenty of controversy in recent weeks with, with, um, you know, the Sochi incidents and stuff going on behind the scenes with Gazizov and Fedun. It's a, it's a real shame. You know, I can understand his reasoning. If that is the true reasoning, if there's nothing else to it, you know, uh, he wants to get back to Germany before uh, a lockdown will prevent him, you know, going and coming as much as he could to you know, spend time with his family. Um, you know, it's fully understandable. It, it, it's a shame, you know, Spartak have got a really good project going on right now with a young manager, a young squad, um, you know, good young foreigners in there who you, you would expect a number of them could be sold on for, for good money at some stage. Players like Larson, Ayrton, Kral, um, they're, they're, they're all guys who are going to probably go to Europe at some point for, for bigger fees. Um, so, yeah, to, to lose the cog in, key cog in there, you know, Spartak, if they get a good manager in there, regardless of where they're from, the fans really rally around them, as we saw with Carrera. I think the fans, have, and obviously we we know the players, have really grown 
to, to love Tedesco. Um, so the fact that he's going, it is a big loss and, and they really need to do something about it. Um, it'd be great to see them go out and, and find someone in a similar mold, not get a tactician, not get a, you know, quite tactician in like a, like an Emery who used to be there or, or a Padea, for example, not that he's ever going to go there, but just examples. You know, it needs to be someone who, who's proper football coach, who's going to be, you know, in there is, it's one of the guys almost. That's what Tedesco was, it seemed like, to the players. He wasn't their manager. He was one of the guys. But they all respected him and listened to him. Um, so, yeah, you, you know, you, whether he stays to the end of the season, we, we don't quite yet know. Um, if he goes in January, it will be a disaster for their for their title hopes, you would imagine. Uh, yeah. But we'll, but we'll see. You know, it, it's a big loss. It's a big loss for the league in general, I think, because he... Uh, he, he was a great character. Well, he is a great character. I'm speaking like he's passed away. He, he is a great character, and uh, you know it's it's going to be a shame to lose him. Yeah, the big thing that Spartak needs and always will need is that the the person in charge of Spartak has to be charismatic. They have to really bring together what is the biggest club in Russia and will always be the biggest club in Russia in terms of sheer numbers and geographical spread. St. Petersburg is probably the only place where. Spartak fans are actually outnumbered by fans of another club. Everywhere else, everywhere Spartak goes, like when you even going down to Krasnodar, who are, who are such a successful team, then when, when Spartak travels to Krasnodar, three quarters of the fans are wearing red and white. It needs to be a charismatic character above all else to really bring together this disparate group of, of people who, who can then believe in the manager. Now, it, it looks like Tedesco has left, of course, as he's mentioned, David, with his his want to go back to Germany and then the successive sort of turmoil at Spartak with the Sochi incident, as you mentioned. And then, of course, the person who brought him to the club in Thomas Zorn has gone. And then his successor has came in, had a battle with Tedesco and then had, had also gone. So it's a little bit of a shame for Spartak that the first time that Fadoon actually supports his manager, the manager then goes or is going to go almost immediately afterwards. But at least if rumours to be believed is... Uh, Spartak are looking to replace Tedesco with a foreign coach. Uh, that's what Spartak insiders and sources close to the club have been claiming. Richard, just on a quickly quick one, who would you like to see perhaps replacing Tedesco? Would you agree that it could be for, it should be a foreign coach? Um, I think it probably will probably have to be. Yes, um, there are as I said, there aren't really many Russian coaches in the RPL up to much. I mean, Telavayev has done a good job with. Um, with Akmat, but there's not really, yeah, I think it probably will have to be a foreign coach again. Um, I think hopefully they will have seen the success of Tedesco and probably want to try and continue on the good work by looking towards another specialist from um, outside of Russia. I've seen, I obviously saw yesterday, we all saw on a Facebook chat that um, apparently Kike Setien, that's one of the rumours going around because he's apparently friends with um, the new sporting director at um, Spartak um, Popov. So he's, he, Setien obviously knows him. And I, I read somewhere as well that Kike Setien also once coached the, the Russian beach football team. And I think that's where the, the links have come from. Now, obviously, everybody knows Setien from his time at Barcelona and um, that didn't end particularly well. But I was looking at his track record yesterday and he actually did a very decent job. He took Real Betis into the Europa League and Betis to another club who, you know, well, Betis are kind of a club who, are quite similar to Spartak in a way. They have a they have a saying. It's Viva Betis Manque Pierda, which basically sums up 
which basically means um, long live Betis, even though we're rubbish. So, um, you know, that's um, that's something that, you know, Spartak fans could, you know, um, you know, have probably been used to for quite a while. Um, but he got them to Europe. He had a good record before that. I think he got Las Palmas to La Liga. He got Lugo to the second division and they're a tiny little team in Galicia. So I look at his track record and it's quite good. So even though it didn't work out for him at Barcelona, you know, he's done well in La Liga before. So that might be something to consider at 62. I have heard Setien is a bit of a tactician. So maybe going back on what David said there, that might be a bit more of a thing. Is he a charismatic, a character like Tedesco, one of the guys like you were, you were alluding to? That might be an issue, but that's one rumour that I've seen linked. Um, but yeah, I have a funny feeling that Popoff might use his links to, you know, I think he's got links with Spain and, you know, obviously got a friendship with Setien and things like that. Third links to the South American market. So maybe that is something that they might look to look at. Yeah, coach from abroad, maybe look at La Liga. Um, but yeah, Setien's the interesting name that's been mentioned so far. And um, he's not going to get any of the top jobs in Spain at the minute. So, I mean, if, if he's interested, that might be something worth exploring from Spartak. Um, Setien link is an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely think it will be a, a foreign coach in next. Uh, the only worry is is how much influence a certain uh, Fadun advisor Zarema Salikova is going to have on matters at the club. Because to be frank, since she has been involved at the club, it's been nothing short of a roller coaster, and even even more so than usual. And hopefully, Popov can have a little bit of autonomy to to try and get the right person in because at least he has a more footballing experience and knowledge than anybody else who are currently on the board at Spartak. So to move on onto our next topic is we're just going to have a little bit of an RPL quick kicks as we usually do. And and because there's two game weeks that we since we last recorded, we're going to cover just some of the games. And to start off with Siskara Siska def- won one midweek is with uh, Fyodor Chalov back among the goals with a hat trick. Now, it's his first goals in eight games. Ironically, last time he scored was also against Rostov. During the game, Chalov's personal XG was 1.89, which is the highest it's been in any one single game this season. The rest of the Siska side combined actually had a combined total of XG of less than 0.5. Siska have been playing good football of late, but aside from the odd individual cracker from players like Vlasic mainly, they just simply haven't been able to score. So, David, do you think this is... A little bit rosier for for Siska with Chalov back among the goals. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely promising to see. You know, it was a welcome sight um, to get him back back scoring again. He, he was actually a perfect hat trick. He, he managed to bag there, right foot, left foot, and header. Um, so so yeah, really really nice. And um, I think uh, Siska tweeted it was like the fifth season in a row that he scored five goals or more. Um, shame that it comes. Just before a long two-month break, uh, you'd want him to go into the another game instantly full, full of confidence and the team full of confidence after actually managing to score more than one. Um, but you know, it, it's just good in general. You know, we we know Chalov's got the the raw goal-scoring ability. Um, it's been a tough year for Siska in general. They they really struggled in in Europe. Um, they, they've been successful in the league primarily thanks to. Uh, Vlasic and Kushayev, who have been on great form, while well, all three strikers in the squad, you know, Ichalov, Gaich, uh, and Shkurin, who all struggled for, for goals in general. Um, so, if we can get Chalov playing back to his best, you know, he has great chemistry with Kushayev and Vlasic, who, who I mentioned before. Um, whether Vlasic stays around much longer is another question, obviously. Um, it, it would be great. It would be great to get Chalov going again. 
You know, he's at the stage where he needs, if he is ever to go abroad, like you know, some early rumors in his career were suggesting. I mean, he needs to have another really good season like he did back, um, what was that, 2018-19, I guess, when he was the top scorer. Um, and he, he needs another one of those. So it'd be great to get see him get a little resurgence uh, in the spring. I know one of the springs he had a couple of years ago, he was just electric. He was scoring left, right and centre. Um, so, yeah, let, let's hope he can do that. And, um, you know, Cisco looking certain for some sort of European football next year by the look of it. Um, whether that's going to be Europa League or Conference League, we'll, we'll find out, I suppose. But, um, yeah, good, good to see him scoring again. And Richard, you caught up with the Kimki versus Lokomotiv match uh, in midweek as Kimki are actually the second best size in the form table in the RPL, only behind Zenit over the course of the last 10 games. So how did, how did Kimki play and get their result against Loko? Nekazietsa, Kimki, Ruski, Milan. It seems to me Kimki are the Russian Milan. That's that. That's what it's like. I meant in Russian. <laughs> Not just because of the red and yeah, the red and red and um, black kits. Yeah, I'll tell you something as well. Um, looking at the way they played in that second half against uh, Lokomotiv, you might as well have juxtaposed AC Milan onto them because they had Lokomotiv pegged back all of that second half. It was such a a well deserved win and. Um, They've been absolutely brilliant under uh, Igor Cherevchenko. Um, and, you know, he's really seen his reputation rise in this last couple of months in terms of coaches. I watched the way they played and, um, you know, every single one of those players were superbly coached in that game against Lokomotiv. They all knew what they were doing. They had the back three. They had Trocheskin and um, Pavel Mogliewicz, who came to the side in place of um, Glushakov. So he obviously had the playmaker and the sitting player. The two wing-backs get forward and provide width. The two attacking players support the, the lone striker, Konate. And um, it was it was a really good performance from them. And they dominated the second half. And yeah, Chevchenko simply has just got them playing um, a style of football which is effective. You can tell the players are well-drilled, well-coached, know their roles. And they fully deserve the, the win. And... Um, yeah, I mean, Kunate's not scored a lot of goals, but I've, when I've seen Kimki's games, I've been impressed with him. He can hold the ball up quite well. There's some good combination play with the two behind him in the Christmas tree formation. Um, and yeah, I, I've been very, very impressed with um, the way they've played. And, and crucially as well, they've got a good goalkeeper, Ilyalan Trotov. I think he's been one of the um, the discoveries of the season at 25 and apparently reports are linking him with both um, Lokomotiv and Zenit in recent um, weeks, so uh, that might be quite interesting to watch. He he made some good saves in the first half too. Sign of a good goalkeeper makes saves when they're needed. So yeah, I thought they fully deserved the the, the win against uh, Lokomotiv, and they look safe now. I think they're 13 points clear of the automatic relegation, and probably about 10 clear of maybe maybe even 12 clear of um, sorry the playoffs, and 15 clear of automatic relegation. So yeah, they're they're looking in really good state at the minute. Cherchenko was pretty much saved them. It was um, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and it kind of came out of nowhere with just how bad they were under Dmitry Gunko. Uh, since Cherovchenko have came in, has came in, they have Kimki are now actually only lost one game in, in all in nine in all competitions, and they're winning seven of these. And a big reason for that, in my opinion, is actually the the pair introduction of Cherovchenko and particularly Rezian Mirzov. And Mirzov has been one of these standout players for Kimki, statistically the best rated Kimki player in the league. Uh, despite joining later than late in, into the transfer window, and he's not—he he was really bad at Spartak, but he wasn't necessarily given a fair chance. Now, when he was given a chance, he more often skied the ball over or miskicked it or passed it to an opposition. 
But to be fair to Milzov, he is one of those where he, he thrives in a, a certain way of playing. He thrives at a certain team. When he was at both Arsenal and Tosna, he they played very much counter-attacking football and, and his pace, his, his sheer pace on the ball was just such an asset. And that is, once again, the, the case at Kimki. He was just never the right to- site, uh, type of player for Spartak. And it was basically a transfer doomed from the start. But more more credit him because he became a bit of a meme in the last 18 months or so. And he's really, really silenced some of his doubters. Uh, towards the bottom of the table, I'll quickly cover Rotter as well as they as they won 1-0 thanks to a, a Flamarian a Flamarian penalty against Arsenal Tuller in a massive, massive game at the bottom. As Rotter are now actually above Arsenal on the table. And they current, currently sit 13th in the, in the playoff uh, relegation spots. And Rotter, Arsenal, Ufa and Tambov, there's just one point between the four of them. Now, they are seven points behind Ural in 12th. So it looks like it'll be two of the four to go down and them four in the bottom four positions. But it was, it was a huge result from Rotter. And Arsenal and Tambov are currently the two most out-of-form sides in the league. Obviously, with Tambov having lots of issues off the pitch as well, with players protesting and, and, and on strike and leaving because they haven't been paid in months, and absolutely rightfully so. So full support of those players, and hopefully they can get some form of wage in be- during the Christmas period to help them help the families and during this difficult situation. But David, you watched Krasnodar defeat Lokomotiv 5-0 at the weekend. How did that game go? Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh... It was just a, a perfect sum up of how Lokomotiv have been in, in recent weeks, you know, uh, especially domestically. Um, just just not good at all. Uh, Crest and I were, were at the really at the at the races. You know, they had the full squad back. Uh, Cabela, Wanderson, Klaassen, Berg, they were all firing. Um, got off to a great start. You know, capitalised on a big mistake from Kovac. Um, we're up 2-0 within, I think, the first 15 minutes, I think it was. Uh, you know, we had a bit of luck, you know. Um, Anton Moranchuk missed a penalty just before half-time. Gorodov with a good save. Um, and then second half, they just sort of ran away with it towards the end, as like as Krasnar often do when it, when a team's trying to chase a goal back from them. The, you know, uh, Krasnar will just catch them every time they... they lose the ball up the field and, and they went and scored three goals uh, in quick decision towards the end of the game. Uh, Shappy, Shappy scored again. He's He's been on good form over the last month. I think he actually got um, nominated for player of the month. I can't remember if that was the official one or whether that was just Crescent one or some website. I, I definitely saw him holding an award. Um, you know, after uh, earlier in the season and towards the end of last season, we were really worried for him because he was he was just not scoring. He was not. He was not playing well. He, he was really looking dejected and out of confidence. And we and we, we could tell he was a confidence player. And as soon as he got a goal, uh, you know, he started scoring recently. I think his first goal for ages was the one against Sevilla, the free kick. Uh, and ever since that, he's he's had a turning point and has looked back to his back to his towards his best again. You know that, that classic Shafi that we know, where he's just it's not necessarily guy's going to dribble past every player on your team but you give him the ball in a dangerous position and he's probably going to get a shot on goal um, and yeah he's been back to his best so that, that's nice to see um, you know because he's, he's a good asset that Krasnar need to, and could have and should have been able to rely on a bit more earlier this season when they were struggling with injuries uh, it was just a shame that he was just not in that form at that stage 
but yeah, d- dominant win. Loco, um, as we've seen, there's the one table going around the last 10 games. They got the worst defensive record of the entire uh, top 14 uh, in that in that actually uh, in that table. You know, 19 goals conceded in the last 10 games, including five obviously against Krasnodar. So um, not good. You know, they they need to do something major to this squad um, over the winter, and I don't know what they're going to do because they've filled it with useless foreign players. Um, you know, they, they brought in Berlowski from uh, Torpedo Moscow, really, <laughs> which I'm not sure they really needed because Berkowski is quite similar to, to guys like Rubczynski, Kamal, Lusakovic. You know, you know, I, I just don't know if they really needed someone else in that position. Granted, a lot of those players haven't been doing well, but I suppose in general, they, they just need more bodies in the squad. When, when half your bench is players from the youth side, you, you need a bigger squad. So... Um, they really need to try and do something mega and revamp that squad this this winter to um, to try and get back to some level of decent play. Yeah, and I would just like to shout out Rostov for being arguably the most consistently inconsistent side in the RPL right now. They haven't drawn 13 games, and in their last 12, they've won six and lost six, defeating teams at the top of the table as well as losing the teams at the top of the table, and then defeating teams at the bottom of the table, and losing the teams at the bottom of the table. It seems like they just can't really get any kind of long-term form together at the minute under Carpin. Uh, they they lost to Siska most recently midweek, and, and quite a, a poor defeat, and they didn't play great. As we covered, Siska did do well, and Chalov got his nice hat-trick, but Rostov are, are arguably the most impossible club to predict right now, and long may it continue because it is very entertaining at the very least. Uh, David, Ruben signed a, a Japanese, a young Japanese lad following Rostov with Kento Hashimoto. Uh, have you got a little bit more on who he is and where you could come in at Ruben? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I think I'd heard the name when it, when it came up. I was like, oh, I feel like I'd, I'd seen his name going around on social media maybe before. Uh, Mitsuki Saito is his name. Um, you know, 20, 21 year old midfielder. Um, it seems like they've signed him over over Urunov, who who they've made a bid for. They decided to go for Urunov. He's on an eighteen up low. They're not paying any of his wages, or they're paying very low wages. Um, and then they've got an option to buy for one million at the end of this loan. Um, the only issue is he's an extra foreigner. They've already got their eight foreigners, so they've got to decide who who leaves. Um, but they decided they did decide to sign him regardless of that, without knowing which foreigner will leave. Apparently, they'll decide which foreigner will leave. Uh, in January, you know, during the training camps. So, um, you know, they've obviously seen him and, and signed him just knowing that he's a good player. And, and that's sort of what you like to see. A bit a bit football manager-esque. They, they, they've scouted someone saying, oh, he's really good, just sign him. We'll, we'll just we'll decide what to do with the squad later. Um, so, yeah, in, interesting move. Um, it would be nice to see him paired up with Quang in the midfield and uh, hopefully hopefully another cog in getting Rubin back to towards the European football again. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to move on to the last topic of today and it is unfortunately a one which is more depressing and pessimistic and a result of the quite weird and strange and all new year that we've had, not just in football, but across the world. And and, if, and right now there is actually quite a, bar, a big financial crisis that's hitting many clubs across both the RPL and then trickling down into the lower leagues, particularly where is biting clubs more difficult. Uh, to start off with, Tambov, of course, as I mentioned earlier on, haven't paid their players in months. 
and in a way to try and arrest the slides, the financial issues, they are going to permanently move to Saransk, or rumoured to be, be permanently moving to Saransk. We'll rename the side and we'll move into the World Cup Stadium in Saransk on a permanent basis. Now, the big the big hit has been, of course, COVID-19, which has on average caused a 50% revenue drop in the RPL. And as I said, if you trickle down the leagues, that gets worse and worse with more and more fixtures being postponed in more of the rural areas and the, the areas outside of European Russia. There's just been no fans able to go whatsoever. Um, but it's also hit the clubs at the very top, and in particular Zenit and Spartak. Now, in the spring of 2020, the price of oil had fell sharply from $65 to $20 per, par- per barrel. And the ruble exchange rate thus crumbled from 70 rubles per euro to 90 rubles per euro. Now, Spartak, according to the owner, Fadun, have been losing 15-20% of the budget during this period. And he claimed that all salaries are tied to the euro. Yet our income is in rubles. So this is that hard and soft currency where Russia, of course, uses the rubles. And, but they most of the clubs get paid in rubles, but pay their players in euros. It's all to do with tax. It's all to do with basically the low level of tax on, on euro wages and, and players being able to have a higher standard of living being paid in euros as opposed to being paid in rubles. But because of this, it's really causing a difficult crisis. Now, only Krasnodar made a substantial profit, really thanks to their European exploits, Galitsky footing the bill. And local themselves have been aided by player sales, of course, uh, the, the big one of Alexei Marantruk to, to Atalanta. But Spartak themselves, so I'll focus on them for a little while, that their, their player sales are actually lower than UFA's. So TV, TV deals such as the new ones in the United States and Greece will help this situation. But as long as there's a huge mistrust of East and West, the RPL will never really be seen in the same light as the top Western European leagues, even with the best branding and marketing and standard of football. Now, the standard of football hasn't been particularly good this year, but the branding and marketing, I will give the RPL credit for, has taken quite a a standard step up in the last 18 months since the rebranded all of the Tinkoff and all the new logos and the Fenerel is now following suits, just modernising everything which it seems incongruous, but from the outside looking in, it really is, it gives it an identity. This bear is much more identifiable than, say, the old Rostovskrach logo, which was just dated and so Soviet. But, David, you've, to quickly move on to the Finnael for a second, you've been reading about a potential reform to the Finnael and the pay for L. Would you like to just quickly go into that for a minute? Yeah, I mean... Um, story that, that came out last week, I think. Um, obviously, we, we've been all for reforming the Feniel for years. You know, you you yourself have written numerous articles with suggestions on, on what they could do and how they can how they can do it. Uh, and if we're if we're going to believe this this latest one, um, well, it, it certainly seems like to start with we're definitely getting some sort of reform next year. Uh, you know, obviously the, the Feniel president has just changed. Uh, I, I noticed actually that Ilya Gurkus, the former um, Lokomotiv president, has put his name forward for, for the Feniel presidency, which I'm not sure how to how to take. Um, but yeah, the, you know, it looks like we're finally going to get some reform in, in the lower tiers of Russia. Obviously, the PFL reformed slightly this year, changing from five groups to four, with the eastern teams uh, being split up amongst the other four regions. You know, you got play, um, the, you know the clubs from the far east playing with clubs in the far west. Um, and then they just play all their home games in a big chunk all at once, pretty much. Um, 
but I think the room the rumors are that the Fenier would change from one division, which is currently twenty two, but is normally twenty, into an east and west division of sixteen teams apiece. Not sure how that will work with promotion to the RPL. Presumably, two from each get promoted, and that's it. Uh, which uh, which would be a strange one. Um, and then the PFL. Not sure how that would change in terms of structure, uh, but they certainly want to change that in terms of. Um, making it heavily weighted towards younger players, uh, specifically homegrown players. That, you know, they want they want to improve, improve grassroots football and improve the development of younger players uh, and, and make uh, the squads heavily weighted towards under-21s. They also want to um, improve the weighting towards younger players in the FNAL. Obviously, at the moment, um, the FNAL clubs have to have one under-21 player on the pitch at all times. They want to... Uh, increase the application, the the squad to I think they need to have at least five or six under twenty ones in the squad on the match day. Um, so so they definitely, if these are to be believed, you know that we get we're seeing clear reform in terms of trying to improve Russian football in general. Russia, not necessarily Russian football. Obviously, Russian football can be improved using foreign players, um, but they want to improve obviously the standard of football in Russia and the Russian national team. Um, obviously, it has some implications for. What do the older players do in this case? You know, you're going to have a big plethora of older players who can't play in the PFL, might not be valued as much in the FNAL. Um, are we going to get all these average players in the, in the RPL? Are they going to have to try and go abroad? It's it's a weird one. Um, I think also, um, to, to be more on topic, there, there's rumours of, uh, you know, promotion to the FNAL being limited based on the, you know, they have to have sponsorship. They have to have some sort of backing from the government. Um, which will affect clubs in cities that have multiple clubs, like uh, Makashkala, you know, where Angie are. There's also two other clubs in Makashkala. Um, you know, they're, they're only going to really back one, the local government. They're not going to bother spending money on all three. So we could uh, end up seeing lots of clubs merging and folding and, be- and becoming one city uh, situation, which is a shame because you quite like to see local derbies, you know, granted at this very low level. Um, but that would be a big shame to see. Um, yeah, I'm not sure whether that's the right way to go. 60, you know, 32 teams in the second tier, but um, mm-hmm. we'll wait and see what they actually do. The one thing that I do like about these rumoured reforms is I'll have to look into the reforms more myself to to really be able to analyse properly the the potential structure in the long term. But in the, in the medium to short term, at least, they definitely seem to be aimed more towards financial stability for the clubs. It's about decreasing the amount of geographic travel, which is the big one that's really, really bad in the Finnell. And mainly the, the other one is is this, intri- this this focus upon younger players. Now, a lot of these smaller sides have basically exclusively survived down to two things, and it is regional government intervention. And selling their young, their best and strongest assets off to the biggest clubs. Andrew Flint, of course, has mentioned on many a time how Chumen's sale of Pasha Maslov to Spartak essentially saved the club for a little while. It, it helped them pay off a lot of the players and, and get away from and, and get that that court case passed in their favour, where they are they are surviving as a football club, which survival is is paramount. Now, the, a lot of Finnair clubs who have been promoted in, in recent years have either been privatised or have got some form of agreement with a privatised club. So Kimki, of course, this season have 
formed an agreement early on with the regional Moscow government that they would get some of the money that was allocated to Spartak, but then they would become basically like a little bit of a feeder, like a support club to Spartak in response. Now they have, Kazizov at the time did deny this, um, publicly deny this, but the regional government then announced just after he denied it that this is exactly what the case is. It's that some of this money that was given to Spartak will be given to Kimki as long as then Kimki basically become what is in essence a feeder club to Spartak. This isn't the first time this has happened. Back in 2016, Siska announced a cooperation agreement with Skar Khabarovsk in that they essentially bought out their old sporting society comrades. Now, of course, Siska, Skar, both clubs are historically related with them, uh, both army sports clubs and owned by the army during Soviet times. They both share the same moniker and the army men. And at the time of agreement, Scar was fourth in the Finnael and have been in the RPL since and, and relegated back down to the Finnael again. But Scar themselves is actually owned and funded by the local Kavrovsk Oblast regional administration, as is the most mostly the case with lower league clubs and bottom RPL clubs. But they have also had some private funding in the past from Hydro Rus. Now Hydro Rus are a government-owned electric company, and the Komsomolsk on Amur aircraft factory i believe it is is owned by hydrorus and that's when scar were rebranded from scar energy akabarovsk to the more traditional name the rebrand basically going along the lines of with siska um with the cooperation agreement uh, and it just shows that these clubs who have the financial stability are generally the ones who succeed the most now privatization isn't always the golden key to success as we have seen in the past with uh, fc tosna tosna of course were owned by fort group the st petersburg based estate agency essentially and their um region and the regional governor of the, of the area alexander Drozenko, announced that the funding was all ceased in 2017 and then tosna went out of business they had debts exceeding 400 million um, so Privatization isn't necessarily a the key to success, but it does give a club ninety nine percent of the time the best chance of survival. You look at the majority of clubs who have been going out of business in recent years; they have all either been wholly regionally owned, like Amkar PM, or part regionally owned, like Anchi Makachkala. When Osman Kadiev sold the club, and then Suleiman Kalimov he sold the club to Kadiev. Kadiev sold the club to the local government, and then the local government just decided that the it wasn't in their interest to financially support Angie anymore. And Angie are currently in limbo, not really knowing what to do because the the non leagues have been cancelled in Russia because of COVID. But it's it's all just a financial mess. And I will take a second here just to focus on Spartak because that's where my my. Uh, interest and my knowledge really peaks and it, one of the reasons why Shamil Gazizov was brought in in the summer was largely because of his ability to work on a, on a shoestring budget it was an attempt to reform Spartak's model to a more sustainable one as a result of this revenue fall over the course of the last year now Fadun was quoted in saying that have you seen the success of Ufa this is a club that can achieve success with a minimal budget and which conducts correct work we need this after the next evaluation of the ruble that was Fadun in July when Kazizov was appointed. So you could see why they were taking this route. Kazizov in Moscow was supposed to scale the experience down and reduce the club's operating costs and the dependence on Luke Oil, which, of course, the oil magnate affected by the de depreciation of oil value. And 
because of that, Luke Oil also constantly threatened by geopolitical uncertainty. Now, it didn't work out because Izov has been fired, but the club has noted this change in strategy and have noted that they want to continue with this going forwards. Almost all Russian clubs are deeply subsidized by somebody. If it's a sponsor like Luke Oil, Gazprom, or an owner like state-owned ownership like Gazprom with state and private, or Russian Railways where it's the same, or local government, or it's the big sponsorship agreements, they all need to be subsidized somehow. Now, in 2019, Spartak actually ended the year with a loss of 800 million rubles, which is a budget deficit of about 10 to 15%. The official budget for the season was 8.6 billion. Uh, he himself, like so, they call themselves, so earned only six of, uh, accounted for six of that. Now, according to the official data of the Federal Tax Service, the rest of the budget, 2.6 billion, was covered by shareholders such as the monetary contributions, and 2 billion went to support the team. But Spartak still had their expenses of 57% higher than the operating income. They earned the most money from tickets and season tickets in the in the entirety of Russia. Um, and about 400 million comes from trade, stadium renting, and so on. Now, basically, they have to increase their regular income not the day-to-day it would help the day-to-day is increased by an increase in traffic and um, before the start of the pandemic and the average attendance was twenty-eight thousand. i mean they'll not probably ever achieve full attendance but the need to get above thirty thousand that they had from 2016 to 19 average it needs to be higher but another big one from spartak's point of view is participation in the champions league it'll allow them so earning several hundred million more rubles from match days and up to 20 million more in, in, uh, euros, not rubles, in prize money, which is important to get that euros prize money in to cover the euros outgoings to the player salaries. Every big club has this. Because Russia are so struggling, the Russian clubs are so struggling in Europe, it's only going to get worse and worse. These players will get will want to leave because there'll be less euros there. There'll be less hard currency as opposed to soft currency you get paid with. If the coefficients go down, there's less Champions League places. Yes, we've got the new Europa Conference League, but every single position in that is substantially less prize money than the Champions League. Now, Spartak was in the top three in terms of sponsorship income in 2019. They had 3.7 billion rubles. Only Loco and Zenit had more. Of course, Loco and Zenit are sponsored by who? The owners, Gazprom and RZD, Russian Railways. Now, it must be said that this is a lot by European standards. Spartak's 53 million euros from sponsors is actually higher than Roma, Napoli, Everton in England, and you see how much money they get. One of the big things that really needs to happen now is the increase of sponsorship and TV rights income. TV rights is the huge one in Russia. Upon entering the Champions League group in 2019, Spartak's revenues would have been increased by about 20 million euros. In this case, even without increasing the rest of the match day income, that would be match day income would be 20%. Sponsors, 48%. TV rights would only account for 6% of their income. That's the big one. That's where Russia really needs to get behind. Or really are behind, sorry. They really need to catch up with the rest. Now, the interesting thing is, is that uh, Anton Fetisov, who's the director of public relations, I believe at Spartak, he he mentioned in the wake of the Kazizov departure that he did not offer a vision of the strategic development of the club, which would be shared by the shareholders of Spartak applying to both the sporting part, the management, and the financial side. Which is very interesting because it's known that Kazizov was, was very much in favour of spending less. Bartak only spent 1.3 million in the summer, the lowest in quite some time. 
So this was a bit of a long sort of monologue, which went on longer than I wanted to. But in essence, it's a bit, bit of a TLDR or a TLDL, too long, didn't listen. Um, attendance needs to be higher, get traffic in. Private Privatisation needs to be larger scale or at least some sort of cooperation agreement to help the, lo- the lower clubs less reliant on, on regional government. And the big ones is they need sponsorship up wide scale. Spartak get a lot of sponsorship in. Zenith get a lot of sponsorship in. Logo do. But aside from that, there's really not a lot of sponsorship opportunities out there. Sochi don't even have a, have a match sponsor on the shirt. And then another one, TV rights. TV rights is 6% of Spartak's income. It, it will be higher in smaller clubs because they have less sponsors, they have less day-to-day income. But it, Spartax is highest by ratio, one of the highest by ratio, but everyone else's is going to be lower in actual value because the, the prize money is given on league position. Now, so I'll, I'll, I'll pass this on over now because I've talked for far too long, but Richard, just do you think there's any way to bring in new financial models to Russia? Do you think maybe some... Uh, TV deals or membership structures like they have in Germany or Spain or are clubs being more intelligent in the transfer market at all? Where do you think that they need to look towards? I think the transfer market is something that definitely needs to look at, James. I mean, um, going back to what David said about uh, locomotive, I totally agree. Um, the, the transfers this summer have been horrendous. You know, you have to ask the question, where have they got value for money from um, both Francois Camano and Zay Luis? They, they paid the best part of 60 million, pretty much the whole of the Miranchuk transfer fee and a bit more has gone on those two players and they've just not done it, you know. Um, and also at Siskar too, you know, you really do have to question what on earth has gone on with that Adolfo Geish signing. I mean, you know, eight and a half million euros and already, you know, it looks like money that's been just totally wasted. You know, have they scouted him properly? You know, it's, there really needs to be an investigation into that because it's just poor use of money, you know, which, you know, it, it sums it all up this season that Siska's best transfer has been the one that they paid the less money for and that's um, Bakita Zayutinov, who I think they got for two million euros from uh, Rostov. You know, the the big three foreign transfers that they made, he's UK, he, he's got talent and skill, but he lacks... um a final pass or a final, you know, um, killer ball. Geish just looks totally ill-suited to their system and Bruno Fuchs has been injured, you know, and they've, they've splashed out the best part of 28 million euros on those three players. So, yeah, I think transfers are definitely an area where Russian clubs need to improve, you know. Um, there are some good examples of that, you know. I think Spartak didn't pay a huge amount for Jordan Larson, you know, when he's looking like a player who they could make a, a really substantial profit on. Um, and I think him... Alex Kral and Ayrton Lucas are three players who could fetch Spartak quite a lot in transfer fees. So I'm hoping the new sporting director to replace Gazizov Popov has some ideas in mind um, for transfers. You know, if they get a decent transfer fee over the next 12 to 18 months for those three players, there's a decent scope of cash to work with there. And um, But yeah, TV is definitely a big one. I think, you know, that I'm really hopeful now that the structure that they've put in place with the YouTube TV deal, uh, the rebranding, you know, English language commentary on YouTube, it, it's been brilliant. I've really, you know, Hats off to everybody who's um, doing that, and um, it's really helping raise awareness of the league, help branch it out. Um, it's a little overdue, I think. I think this this is the kind of thing that really should have been happening ten years ago, but hopefully now it's a start. You know, better late than never. It's a start, so hopefully that will continue and uh, the league will continue to grow. Um, I think. It's tough now for the Russian league because the big five leagues are so commercially strong now. You know, TV money has massively increased in those leagues. And like I said, you know, obviously you mentioned about the price of oil. That might well have affected clubs in the Premier League too, like Manchester City. But the big advantage Man City have got is that they're sitting on a huge amount of TV income. 
and that's that's obviously a huge thing now. Um, so that yeah, TV is definitely an area where Russian clubs need to improve. On the privatisation side of things, I think there's been there's been one or two encouraging signs in the FNL recently. I noticed two of the top six teams in the uh, FNL now are privately owned: um, Torpedo Moscow and Velez Moscow. You know, and Torpedo, are t- I think the two sides I'd like to see come up automatically from the FNL next year are Torpedo and um, Nishinovgorod. And for a variety of factors, first and foremost, Torpedo are privately owned. They're a famous historic club. They're based in Moscow. They've got a billionaire owner. And Nishi have a World Cup stadium. You know, I, I've got to admit, I know there's all the talk of them moving to, um, all the talk of Tambov moving to um, Saransk soon. But, you know, I, I literally just can't wait for Tambov to get out of the league. You know, they've, they, they, they've contributed very little. You know, they've been playing away from Tambov, their own stadium. I don't even think rebranding to FK Saransk is going to do them any favours either because a lot of people in Saransk support Mordovia. They've had to go down to the lower leagues after hitting financial trouble. I think there's going to be people there who will struggle to get behind the new project. They'll want to support Mordovia, not this new club. So I don't really see what they benefit by, what they gain by doing that. But, you know, there you go. Um, but it's nice to see Torpedo up there and Velez could be an interesting project coming up from the Fenel soon. Hopefully they can carry on investing. They've got private ownership. So there's, there's some optimism. And when you've got World Cup, more World Cup stadiums in the um, RPL, that helps to, to boost attendances. I know pre-pandemic, Rotor were pulling in some good crowds in the RPL and also in the Fenel last year. Nishinovgorod were pulling in plus 20,000 in the Fenel for some games. So if you can get some more World Cup stadiums in the RPL, that would help. I think. I hope Rotor stay up this season as well. Um, and yeah, it, it all comes down to yeah, the transfers are the big one. I think you know better better coaching and better transfers are needed. You know, look at the way Cherevchenko has done at, at Kimki. And, and one thing I'll expand on with the Kimki part is one last thing I'll, I'll say on this is that they beat Lokomotiv the other day without both their first choice um, wing backs, Brian Idowu and um, Kirill Bozhinov the main playmaker in Denis Grusharkov and um, Ryazan Mirzov. So they missed four of the first-team players, and you'd think they'd struggle with Lokom- against Lokomotiv with four first-team regulars out. But actually, it did them a huge favour. You know, look at the way... Che- well, not necessarily did them a huge favour, but Chevchenko got hold of them and coached them well. And that's one area where I think a lot of Russian clubs need to start improving the coaching element of it because you can compete with good coaching i i, I saw i mean we make we've, we've all gone on about the foreign limit but i looked at wolfsburger's squad that beat siskar in the europa league in moscow eight nine of those players were austrian and none of them were a single austrian international or austrian under 21 international so you know that with good coaching you can compete and i think that's an area which has to improve and it's also linked to good recruitment too so that's definitely an area where um, russian clubs need to uh, improve um, the coaching and the um transfers definitely but also yes we do need more privatization as well hopefully going yeah. forward and Velez and Torpedo might provide that. Now you mentioned there the, the transfers and and the recruitment strategies now one of the reasons why I did start off with Spartak and Gazizov is because one of the real points of growth Spartak's income is profitability within the transfer market they have a good batch of players now who you could really sell them for good value particularly Larson, uh, Alex Kral. Pasha Maslov, if he keeps developing, Nilo Myarov, if he develops the way he is, even uh, the injured Glushenkov at the minute. But what attracted Fedun to Gazizov in the first place is that Ufa earned almost nothing from match days and sponsorship. The budget was filled with funds earmarked from either the regional government fund and by transfers. Now, the concept of promoting underestimated players really worked at Ufa. They sold on Oblyakov, Zinchenka, Fomin, Klugovoy, and each the club has earned 1.5 million euros rough on average from each individual trans- sell-on profit. 
in each one of these transfers um valued for 10 percent of ufa's annual budget that season which is a huge amount of money just from one transfer and that's not bringing into account the fact that they have sold three or four players for massive profit over the last every single year for the last three to four years now when one is 10 percent and you look at that when say Famine went for was it 3.5 million euros if 1.5 million euros is 10 percent that's huge and that was the same year that they got the full money for from Dinamo for Slyag Boon too. But I, I think the biggest issue is to go back onto is you also mentioned this, Richard, that the the top five are in such a strong financial position right now. Now there was a American financial investigation to basically the financial television deals and broadcasting deals behind European football, and of course, as you would expect, the Premier League is by far the biggest. They've just agreed a new deal from 19, uh, 2019 to 22, of which an estimated 5 billion for three years of 200 live matches per season will go into the club's hands. Now, the Premier League is, of course, the biggest deal right now. Um, second is Ligue 1, Ligue 1, and then Germany, La Liga, uh, Italy, Serie A, like, all, and it goes down like that. But if you keep going down and looking down at the list, the lowest deal out of the entirety of the 23 European professional top divisions the lowest TV rights deal in terms of monetary value is the RPL. The RPL on average is 22.8 million. That's less than Switzerland, that's less than Austria, Romania Scotland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden Poland, Greece. It's even less than the Argentinian division when you you go outside of Europe. It's less than the Netherlands, it's less than the MLS in, in America and Canada this in the Belgian divisions, Portuguese, the English Football League dwarfs it. The RPL, the top division in Russia, gets twenty, just under 23 million euros per year. This, the English Football League, which is tiers two to four in England, gets 120 million pound per year. It's unbelievable how small it is. The TV contract really is, for me, the eternal pain of the RPL. The clubs could count on roughly about 130 million rubles per season, which is 1.8 million euros. Each club only gets 1.8 million euros in TV rights. This is a serious amount for the teams at the bottom eight. It's up to 20% of their budgets. But at the top, at the teams at the top, for those who want to compete in European competition, competition, it's nowhere near enough. TV rights in 2019 brought Spartak, as I mentioned before, only 6% of their budget. Zenit's was only 5% of their budget. Zenit's 5% of their budget came from TV rights. They got 1.8 million in 2019. You look at Chelsea, who was in Krasnodar's group. They got 124 million just one year it's unsustainable the tv rights is something that really really needs to change and i'm to be quite honest with the way that the the, that this sort of digital cold war for any other way of putting it does exist where the east mistrusts the west and the west mistrusts the east as i said earlier it doesn't matter what they do off the pitch and on the pitch this is never going to break through the u.s deal that they had the greek deal that they've just just announced are dwarfed there's absolutely nothing it's really nothing. And with this COVID-19, it's basically just, it's it's ignited a powder keg, which is just sort of boiled under the surface for quite a few years now. And I really don't know what they can do to, to solve it. David, what do you think? Do you think that perhaps the, the Krasnodar model of community integration, investment in youth and investment in the facilities could be a, a good step forwards for clubs in the wider, wider sense? I mean, Krasnodar are lucky that they can do that because they've got a multi-millionaire owner. Um, it's not something that every club's going to have the liberty of doing. Um, 
you know, it's always going to be hard for Russia to break through elsewhere because um, just because of how negatively Russia is viewed, especially in America. Like, uh, you know, they, over, in America, Russia is essentially public enemy number one. Um, mm-hmm. So people, you know, the, the attractiveness of sitting down and watching the Russian Premier League is not exactly big. You know, you can see why um, all the Latino leagues are big in, in the States, and that's because they're a huge Latino um communities in the states uh you know there there's going to be huge populations of argentinians there who will sit down and watch the watch those leagues um you know there of course there are russian communities and plenty of russian americans you know you, all you have to do is look through uh you know it baffles me every time i look through like just a list of politicians names and every one of their names you know, like it is like polish descent or or whatever you know they're all descended from someone in Europe and then they, they, they'll say, oh, but we're so much better than Europe. And I don't know. That's something to be irrelevant. Um, but, but it's just, it's always going to be tough for Russia to break, especially break abroad, especially the States, you know, um, to, to, to be able to increase their money, they've got to make the league more attractive. You know, at its peak, Russia, let's just say was probably at its peak of attractiveness, probably what, 2012, 2013, the time of Hulk, Dumbia, Wagner Love, Witzel, you know, when, when all these bigger stars are playing there, you know, it gave people a reason to, to want, maybe want to watch the Russian Premier League. At the moment, you know, people aren't necessarily going to be tuning in to the Russian Premier League. You know, people will watch it from certain countries to see certain players. You know, um, Shemorodov brought in a host uh, of Uzbekistani fans, uh, you know, Tons of people from Kazakhstan watch uh, the Siska games. Um, you know, I suppose I do not constantly wins Player of the Month and Player of the Match awards because uh, the Kazakh fans just uh, flood the votes, especially on VK. Um, and I'm sure things will happen the same. You know, Rubin obviously have, have bought in a Korean and a Japanese. Rostov have bought in Hashimoto, and it's it's uh, opened up a whole new market for them. Um, it, you know, it's all going to start with on the pitch. If, if you want to sell your league, you've got to make it something worth selling. You know, at the moment, um, with all due respect, obviously we all enjoy watching the Russian Premier League, but it's, it is a niche league and, you know, there isn't big stars in the league anymore. You know, who is the biggest star in the league? Like, who is the biggest star in the league? Like, it's a very hard question. No, we know who the biggest player is in the league, but outside of Zuba, who is the big star in Russia, who is the biggest star in the league? It, mm. I mean, it's probably Malcolm, uh, or in Europe, it's probably Malcolm. In the rest of the world, you'd say it's Asmoon because he is known all over Asia, uh, but not necessarily as well known in, in Europe. You know, Malcolm was a good step forward. It is, uh, you know, you think back to, to Hulk, that he was brought in for a similar feed to Hulk. He's Brazilian, he played a similar position. It was a big step forward in terms of. Yeah, that was a big signing. It was a big star signing for a Russian club, the first in years that we've had like that. Um, it's not worked as well, but you know, it, it's it's such a big issue, and it, it it's not an easy fix. There's so many angles that it needs to be fixed from and improved. Uh, I, I feel so underqualified trying to even come up with a solution. So um, I will yeah. stop. The thing is, is because there is no one solution it is a case of lots of little solutions what what is the way to to help financial instability tv deal yes privatization yes membership structures or at least something to get more fans in the ground to get more 
to get match day revenue up quite substantially, yes. Participation in the UCL, yes. On the pitch, yes. Off it, following a Krasadar model where you were funding more into into recruitment and more into the academy, absolutely. It, being more intelligent in the market and being more qualitative not rather than quantitative about who you buy, absolutely. The sponsorship deals. It's all of these things. Each little bit of one of these really does need improved, but you don't see any of them being improved like, at all. Unfortunately, it just seems to be that the RPL is really hitting a juncture right now where without improvement on the pitch, off it, it's really worrying. It really is worrying when you look at the coefficient levels where the, the financial instability, even if Spartak is struggling, just imagine what the, the, the teams like Chumen, Andrews Chumen are doing down in over in Siberia or, or, or Chaika down, down in the south. Like imagine how much they're struggling if even Spartak are. They were the second richest club in the country. So it, it's getting to a juncture now where change needs to be implemented from the very top. Richard, last last word on this issue? Yeah, I mean, one thing I will say is, is that it, I think this could, I think COVID will definitely impact a lot of leagues. Like I've been, I've been listening to what's been going on in French football recently, and apparently there is real, real problems there. Apparently, um, the TV deal you mentioned it was the second highest. Well, apparently it's going to get revised down. Apparently, the company that will go into bid for it have now suddenly decided not to withhold payments, and you know they're going to get a vastly reduced deal now. And apparently, a lot of French clubs. Are going to find it difficult, so maybe that's an avenue the RPL could explore. You know, you have to look at a player like Remy Cabella. Remy Cabella came to Crastada last season, and he's played. I think he's into single-digit caps for the French national team. Played for a variety of clubs: Saint Etienne, Montpellier. But you look at his touch, and you know, this is a guy who was playing for a lot of mid-table clubs in France, probably. You know, like Saint Etienne. And you look at his touch, and when he played against Rennes in the Champions League, you saw how having a player at that level in your team, even if it's just one, improves the whole thing. And Hopefully that I mean that might be a market now that the French that the Russian teams can explore, you know, the bottom end of League One. You know, remember where Leicester City got Mares and Engolo Kante from League League Duh, you know. So um hopefully there'll be some um possibly that that's a market they could look to explore. I mean the foreign limit I hate to hark on about it. We all we all go on about it, but maybe there's a Russian football union meeting on the twenty second of December if the foreign limit's relaxed. You know, maybe if it went up to let's say twelve in your squad, that might Give someone like Zenit or Spartak a chance to do what what Shakhtar have done brilliantly in Brazil. You know, uh, maybe not in Brazil itself, but in another country. Maybe you know, I know Zenit had five Argentines at one point. Maybe they could look at a league like Croatia and Serbia to you know get a, a stream of talent in in that from that league. Target a particular market, bring them in young, then sell them on a couple of years later for a big profit if some of them do well. So um, I hope, yeah, like we said, that the, the action has to be taken now. Um, but I mean. Hopefully going into 21 with the Conference League, maybe that's a chance chance for Russian clubs to redeem themselves. The standard of play, teams that they're playing in that will be lower, so there's probably less of an excuse for poor performances. So hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, whatever whatever happens, action needs to be taken now. But maybe that's um, a few more ideas I'll throw in there. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, as is the case with often in Russian football, we will have to end on a little bit of a depressing tale. But hopefully off the pitch some of these matters can be resolved at least the ones that literally can be resolved because some of them I, I, I don't think are able to do so in the in the immediate short term but this will be our last podcast before Christmas so I'd like to wish a Merry Christmas to all the, all the listeners and stay safe during the holiday season enjoy your holiday season and 
get get very merry. Uh, if you want to look at the website over the course, we have we will have lots of uh, different uh, different pieces going up during the w- winter break. Analysis of the Finnair L uh, interview with a certain interview with the former Angie and Mordovia player uh, Thomas Feeble. Going to have the usual team of the autumn stuff, and we will be back in late January to cover Krasnodar against Dinamo Zagreb to look to have an exclusive podcast on the Finnair and an exclusive podcast, like I said, on picking our team of the autumn. Um, we did publish, of course, the exclusive interview with Christian Naboa. That's up on the site. So if you want to go listen to that, he's got some really good insights with his time at Zenit, current time at Sochi. Um, speaks glowingly of Kerban Berdiev, which is really not that surprising, but really nice to read. Where What he says about Berdiev is, is really some really good stuff. So check that out on the website. Uh, David, where can everybody find your work? And don't update everyone on the Football Manager update that you released. Um, yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at RFN underscore David. Um, yeah, we published the, the Thought Manager update this week. Uh, you can find that on the website or on Steam. Uh, you know, uh, get that installed in your game and hopefully uh, enjoy playing the Russian leagues a bit more with a bit more accuracy to, to your uh, to your database with some player change. Well, plenty of player changes, uh, you know, fixes, name fixes. Uh, you've got the, the PFL in there as well. So uh, yeah, download download that and go wild. And uh, as James said, got some uh, pieces planned for for the winter break on, on the Fenier, which um, you know is over halfway through and um, has had plenty of intrigue this season. So um, yeah, check those out once when and when and when we publish them. And Richard, where can everybody find yourself online? You can find me on Twitter at richdpike eighty nine at richdpike eighty nine. I've got some work coming out for uh, I'll Spill the Beans. Soon it will be coming out over the Christmas New Year period on uh, Football Manager. You can check out my five guides of teams to be on Football Manager if you're struggling for a game. Some of them are Russian, both in the uh, RPL and the FNL. Um, on Heart of Football, there'll be five guides of 10 teams each. So if you're struggling for a game or want some ideas, please do check that out. I'll also be doing some pieces for RFN over the winter window. Uh, I won't reveal what, but it'll involve analysis of certain teams. And uh, yeah, check those out. And um, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to um, all of our listeners. Yeah, everyone, that is heartof.football is the website. And that is, of course, the website run by your very own Andrew Flint. This has been the RFN Podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет